is Clayton Howe's Entertainment X. For this episode, I chat with Paul Alexander Nolan, and we cover a little bit of everything from growing up in California with his early inspirations and lessons from farming through lessons learned in kindness, early on mentors, and roles that taught him the most about himself, and so much more. So I hope you enjoy this part one with Paul Alexander Nolan. We're back. I'm Clayton Howe, and today with me on Zoom is Paul Alexander Nolan. Paul, thank you for joining me today. Of course. Thanks for asking. This is fun. This is going to be a fun conversation. We connected some dots with Disney Cruise Line before (laughs) we started chatting. Uh, Most recently, though, uh, Parade, which you were absolutely fantastic in. I love your commitment to every role that you play. It's so incredibly committed and honest. I want to get into that a little bit. But before we do, take it back to the beginning of time for you. What were your entertainment dreams growing up in Canada? I love this question because it's it's important to revisit where we came from and yeah. what was our impetus for starting this. I, uh, I've i told the story a lot, but I grew up in a, in a very small town in Saskatchewan where um, in Saskatchewan, Canada, where, uh, you know, the arts weren't a big part of our community, um, sports oriented, like many, many places in North America. So I kind of had this talent that was riding under the surface and hiding under the surface for a long time, um, and eventually, um, discovered it and, and started to lean into it, but kind of privately. So, um, my dreams as a kid, I didn't even know what were possible. I I hadn't seen commercial theater, but it was really when Les Mis uh, toured through Regina, Saskatchewan, that I saw myself in in the show because I saw the kid playing Gavroche. So I really was part of this Gavroche generation yeah. that uh, a lot of young people um, saw themselves in that show and it launched their dreams to do it for a living until then I had just done it because I, I found it fun to be involved in theater and community theater and high school theater, et cetera. So, um, I, I would say that, um, at that point on, I knew that, oh, when I'm grown up, I'm going to move to Toronto and I'm going to pursue a career as a, as a musical theater performer. Was there a defining moment for you? Was there a, a particular moment in time where you made the the decision? It was in that exact moment, seeing okay. that kid come out this like, you know, probably four foot ten. He may have been 10 years old, but I was a runt at 13. So uh, I saw, you know, I was still as small as that. I could have played that role. My voice didn't change till I was 15. And uh, so I thought I could do that. And so that it was from then on that I realized, oh, that's where I'm headed. Um, and my sister Adrian lived in Toronto at that point. So I had a reason to, you know, go there and have a, you know, a sense of security. Cause I grew up in a town that was less than 500 people, mm. Toronto being, you know, whatever the population is of Toronto now, seven, 8 million. Um, or is it that big? I, I'm I, probably way out of touch here. <laughs> it might be three. What did your parents teach you about work ethic? A lot. I mean, um, my father was a farmer and um mom was a you know a farm wife but essentially she also ran did all the the books for the farm the accounting and um eventually had other jobs you know i'm sure she was going stir crazy on the farm so she took jobs in the city and opened a business etc um my dad worked 
you know, tirelessly on the farm. It's, 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 it's constantly opening week on a farm in Saskatchewan, especially at seeding and harvest, Mm. but there's always stuff to do things to fix. Um, you know, the business of running a farm is complicated and, um, you know, so I always saw them really, uh, from dusk to dawn busy. Um, mom had a humongous garden growing vegetables, a beautiful vegetable garden that I hated having to go work in pulling weeds. Um, you know, when I, from a time that I was very young, maybe eight or nine years old, I was always out working in the yard when the weekend came, I didn't get to have, you know, free reign of running around. Mm. Um, I wasn't, uh, you know, I wasn't, uh, you know, busy all the time doing that. I got to be a kid a little bit, but, um, you know, I I really liked going out to the tractor with my dad and, and working with him out there and seeing uh, things about machines and, and, uh, you know, when he'd let me, yeah, um, uh, I'd ride the, uh, the lawnmower, which was, um, uh, sorry, I, I realized my mic might've cut out there for a second. Yeah, you're good. Okay, good. Um, here in Canada, the technology coming, coming in and out. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I use it as an excuse to get a, out and run one of those little riding mowers. And, you know, there's pictures of me as a five-year-old riding around on those things. So, um, yeah, I mean, they had a, it was a big, um, farms are, are a lot of work and, yeah. and both my parents, uh, worked tirelessly. So I, I definitely got, um, a healthy dose of, uh, work ethic from them. Was there any particular, um, or do you have any particular story of, of working out there with your dad and any like, uh, him just being like, you know, push on through, we can't stop until we're done (laughs) and the sun is setting. (laughs) Well, um, I do have a story that's actually the, a little bit the opposite. So, um, the, my sister and I were, um, given the job of, of, scraping all the paint off of uh a barn in uh, on the farm and uh because it was peeling off and back then you know the paint was different and uh Mm. saskatchewan winters are real harsh so the after a few years you start to see chipping on the paint we had to go out there with those scrapers you know those metal scrapers and scrape it off by hand get it all get all the the bits that were peeling off of there so we could repaint it um and, uh, you know, I, I might've been 10 years old and really would rather have been playing with my buddies. It was the summer months. So I wasn't, uh, you know, I wasn't in school during the week. I wanted to be out playing all day. Yeah. Uh, I started faking a, um, an asthma attack, uh, so that I could get out of working. And of course they all knew I was full of it. So, uh, uh, they let me stay in afternoon and uh of course i snuck out and went and played with my friends well my dad caught me <laughs> so they all knew i'd been lying um but uh so you know that gives you an idea of the kind of work that farm kids do you know even at 10 years old you're out doing manual labor and um and learning how to put in a good day whereas my sister had to continue the job that day and uh, she's never let me forget it since <laughs> I love it. I love it. Thanks for sharing it. Um, do you have um, particular lessons or standout moments on um, what your parents taught you about kindness? You know, my mother is an incredibly uh, thoughtful person. And um, I really think that we pick up things genetically from our our uh, our parents. And, you know, I do have to 
uh, I think my wife would disagree with me. I think she finds me kind, but I, I don't, you know, they, she doesn't get to, you know, be in my head 24 seven. So I think that, uh, I always look to people like my mom and my wife as, as my teachers for generosity and kindness and patience. And, um, because my mother was, and is still a very, uh, thoughtful uh, person. She always has a gift that, that for people that, um, she's thought about and, and found and taken the time to, to find. And at 80 years old, nearly, she still it does that. So, um, mm. but you know, I, there's a wonderful moment that my mom, my mom was working in Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan, which is about 25 minutes from Rolo, the town I grew up in. And, uh, I think she, you know, I was a real mama's boy as a kid. I really loved having my mom's hugs and stuff. And, uh, and so I was really missing her being around all the time. Hmm. Uh, as an adult, I see that this was great for her mental health because it gave her some independence. It gave her a little bit of money and uh, gave her a sense of, um, uh, you know, self again. You know, she raised five children and, hmm. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm not a mother, uh, but I, can see that it, it's a, you know, the hardest job on earth. Yeah. So when she took this job, she was gone more than I was used to. And, um, and I think she noticed that I was suffering a little bit. And so she brought me home these really cool, uh, pajamas that were like an NHL referees, uh, outfit, this stripe black and white stripes on top and black pants on the bottom. And, and I thought they were the coolest thing on earth. And, uh, my wife actually knows that story and bought me the same pair of pajamas for our wedding night because, uh, she, <laughs> you know, cause it's such a, an epic story of, of thoughtful, thoughtfulness. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Do you have, um, oh, I love that. Do you have any mentors and are there any standout lessons? I do. I have, I have, I mean, in my mind, I have many mentors, um, but in the true sense of people that, um, are a continuous part of my development um, in an active way. Yeah, I, I do. Um, my friend Kathy McKinnon is a mentor to me. She's the head of voice at the Stratford Festival in Canada um, and a good friend, one of my best friends. And um, um, Carol Rosenfeld, who is um, an actor in New York, living New in New Jersey, but teaches a lot down at uh, Uta Hagen's school hmm. that I'm dropping the name of right now. It's a, one of the most famous schools in New York. Yeah. Do you know it? Oh, yeah. I, I'm forgetting. <laughs> the Actors Studio. Yes. Um, um, and Carol is, ex you know, an exceptionally generous person. And when I'm kind of having trouble figuring out the seed of a character, I call Carol. It's been a while, but she's always, she'll always show up and, um, and be there for actors. She works tirelessly with actors um young and old and she you know I, her passion for acting is um inspi inspiring hmm. what? i forget the second half of the question <laughs> no, no no it was just mentors and standout lessons but in terms of you know if we touch on acting for a little bit the honesty you know that i brought up at the very beginning of this is is was there a particular moment in time for you in your career of performing and, and honing in the craft, I'm just sure it's still happening, where you got incredibly honest. I, I, I love the how open you are on a stage in a way that I, I haven't seen from many <laughs> individuals. So kudos and thank you for that because it's incredibly entertaining and educational through the roles I've seen you play. 
but also your own journey with that. Is there any, was there any lesson? Um, you know, I, I think that it, I was just having a similar a conversation about the thing I'm about to say last night with Kathy McKinnon here in Stratford. Um, uh, the, the artist doesn't get to know themselves as an audience knows them. So to hear that, you know, you find my performance is honest is, you know, I, I take it as a compliment. Um, mm. but I don't necessarily get to know what that means. Mm. Um, but I'll try to interpret it. Uh, when, when I was in school at the Randolph Academy in Toronto as a 18, 19 year old, mm. I had a teacher named Diane LaWarren and Diane, um, she taught our musical theater presentation class and um i sang the late stephen sondheim's song i remember from evening primrose it's a stunning song full of imagery and uh you know historically diane always wanted me to be doing more in these songs but i i think even at that young age really ref I, I was i had an allergy to not being truthful and and at, at that time i think she was trying to get me to be more expressive mm. and it, she wasn't asking me not to be truthful but i didn't know how to be more expressive and, and truthful at the same time mm. so i remember her i finished the song and she looked at me and asked me if i had muscles in my face she said paul do you have muscles in your face? It was very funny, like the way she said it. And I took it with love. But um, um, yeah, I think that, I, I don't know. I think that there was always something in me that was looking for truthfulness within the genre of whatever I was working on. Because I think, mm -hmm. as Des Makinoff says, there are different modes of truth. You, If you are in a farce and you're trying to do realism and and subtlety it's not the right truth for the farce or if you're in um you know we see it all over we see it all over television right now um the truth in um a broad comedy like uh arrested development is different than the tr truth in law and order mm. so that that is always something when i start a new mu musicals are similar in that you know from one musical to another there are different sets of rules and so you're you always feel like you're starting over again trying to understand what acting is and i, I find it endlessly fascinating because you know of course all actors have strengths and weaknesses and if you're lucky you have a lot of different genre strengths because it helps mm -hmm. you work a little more yeah. Is there, is there a particular role that has taught you the most about yourself? Um, as a person, I don't know, maybe, maybe guy in once, uh, but I, I think it's more accurate to talk about it as, as an artist. Um, hmm. I don't, I don't think there's a singular role. I think that you can learn by like watching what you're gravitating towards and, and, and you know, that shifts. I, hmm. I, I really think that um roles follow me around and i don't sometimes understand why i've been asked to do certain roles or i don't exactly think that i'm you know cast properly until i'm mm. kind of in the room working on them once in a while i'll 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 take a role and i'll know exactly what that thing is there's just something about it and it's a really intuitive process for me um you know I, I sometimes can't break it down why I understand something or why I don't. 
but mm. um, really getting in the room with other artists and and molding it together is what I really love. How do you how do you find the balance between letting things happen and making things happen in your career? Oh, that's a that's that's a really good question because uh, you know the more I try to make things happen, I think the more frustrated I get. <laughs> um, but you you know you do have to do. You know, for example, um, during the pandemic, I got tired of sitting around, so I started applying to firefighter schools, and wow. um, and I got into a firefighter school and accepted it, and it was two weeks before starting school, and um, I got a call from Robert O'Hara asking if I'd be interested in doing the remount of Slave Play um, that we did last um, Christmas into January, hmm. and so, but I you know, unless I had made these plans to do something with my life, uh, first of all, I would have sat around for eight more months before that call happened, going crazy and probably falling slightly into sadness. Mm. Um, but also in some weird way, I feel like that kind of those choices help generate opportunities. Mm. Um, they help, um, they help us you know, attract the universe's kindness. And I will say like, um, I, um, I've always had my foot a little bit out the door with this business. Um, mm -hmm. I resent having something else control whether I get to work or not. Um, and so for that reason, I think I've always kind of been like, yeah, I'm good without this. And I don't know if that is true or not, because when I get on stage with specific um, in, in specific events, like with parade who, you know, not only do I love that show and have loved it since I was 18, when Jessica rush, uh, gave me, uh, the album on Disney cruise line. <laughs> um, but I love Michael Arden. I've believed in him tremendously since I saw his first, the first piece I saw him direct, which was spring awakening and then worked with him on my fair lady. Mm. Um, so that, you know, and I know Michael works from a really, tremendously respectful and honest place. So he attracts these other artists that you're suddenly in a room with great artists with great respect. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, like all of these things actually make the, you make up the whole, uh, you could have parade, which is an exceptional piece of theater, exceptional composition, exceptional lyrics, but you don't have the right director for it. So the actors aren't happy. They don't do their best work. They don't have, they're not in an environment where they can take risks and, you know, find out what the what the thing is not which to me is, is more is really more interesting than finding out what it is mm. um because that's where you're in the sense of play so um does that answer the question it does and i love that you bring up you know the it's the energy of like shifting it's like if i'm waiting for my phone to ring the second i get up and move around the phone rings but when you're mm -hmm. sitting there it doesn't happen so i so mm -hmm. appreciate you sharing that story um, I, I mean, I'm interested if we could touch for a moment on finding out what it isn't or what it's mm. not, where does that come from for you? And how does that, does that translate into your, your everyday life and your, and your choices? Or is that more something that just sits within, um, the play of, you know, acting and performing? I think I spent a lot of years, uh, trying to do things right, um, from the outside, when you're watching a performance, I just saw um, Jefferson May's 
in the unbelievable Christmas Carol that yeah. Michael Arden directed. And I kind of went in, I know I digress quite a bit. I'm sorry. I, I noticed your podcast has shorter episodes. So I try to be and longer <laughs> and I have longer ones. Um, so it's fine. Okay, it's all good. good. Okay. Well, <laughs> you know, I, I expected Jefferson to be astonishing, which he was. I expected Michael's work to be great, which it was. But what I didn't expect was it to be magic. It was theater magic. Um, you know, the way, the way they designed it to the way Michael directed the, the, the use of light, it just like, we were constantly in a magic show Mm -hmm. and all of those elements together were extraordinary. Um, now, now, uh, I'll go back to, um, you know, the, the question you asked was, uh, which is I I spent a lot of time trying to do things right. We watch a, a performance like Jefferson Mays and think that, you know, oh, that's a locked in performance or uh, that's the right way to do it. Well, you know, he spent time exploring how to to approach the text, how to approach the characters, etc. We didn't get to see the process, which is an audience that's 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 right and good. We want to see the performance, mm. which is shiftable and changeable from night to night. But we see tonight's performance. Um, uh, so I spent a lot of time trying you know, thinking that there was a right way to do things in my career, mm-hmm. uh, trying to please the director, please, uh, you know, try, you know, try to make, you know, in a way it's like, goes back to try to make mom and dad proud. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I don't know where it shifted for me necessarily, but in and around t- 2009, um, I worked with a director in Stratford, Gary Griffin on West Side Story. And he, he was a tough director but he taught me a lot about acting. And, um, and at, from that point forward, I started working with, I it just, this, uh, something dropped for me and that I, that I started kind of working on, on process more than product. And, um, it's still, it's still, uh, in my genes to, to, to want to be good, to want to get things right. But I fight that when I walk into a room now, even in auditions, I, I never, I, I try to not treat auditions like um, a product, but as a process, I try to treat auditions like I'm going to rehearsal. And that has, you know, worked for me. Um, As far as just in my own artistry, I get to walk out of there thinking that is what I intended to do. And I went in and did what I intended to do versus, you know, I'm guessing what they want. And, you know, I didn't do that right. Or they didn't hire me or this, this or that. I I just use it as an opportunity to work. And, Mm. um, so when I say I am looking for what a thing isn't, it means that I am giving myself the opportunity to fail over and over and over again. I think that text, when it's good, when writing is good, will generally take care of you. And sometimes we get in the writing's way by doing too much or doing too little or adding stuff that isn't really necessary. I mean, in one of the performances of Parade in my scene with Eddie Cooper, who played Newt Lee, I did something and immediately thought, Ooh, why'd I do this? I can't, I can't get out of this. And it's, the, it's not a good choice. Um, and I don't typically think, oh, this isn't a good choice while I'm working. I'm just playing. And, and you know, when I'm with scene partners who really trust me, I, especially in, in something like what we had to do in Parade, mm-hmm. I'm deeply grateful to that scene partner for letting me, you know, play like that. Hannah Ellis let me play extensively when we did Knoxville down in Sarasota earlier this year. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's where I'm really having the 
best time is when I'm given like the, the trust to figure out what something isn't. Mm. Um, and you will make mistakes. You will, you will from time to time slip up. But what I think you get in return is electricity. Mm. I think you get, you get, um, something that's alive versus something that's locked. You might get something that's locked and good, but you're never going to get something that's alive and amazing, you know? So, um, I, it's, you know, I'd say these words out loud and I think, yeah, people listening will be, you know, uh, think that it's, it's easy. Well, it's, it's a process. It's a constant challenge to myself because there's this element of me that's always trying to be the best or get it right. Or, you know, whatever that, you know, whatever that is. And I, I'm always kind of trying to not do that. Mm. Um, and I will say that, that, uh, that is sometimes just exclusive to me working as an artist because in real life it's very different I, I keep i compartmentalize my job and my and my personal life very much so my job is here and i don't talk about my job when i go home I, you know my i'm sure i drive keely nuts because i come home she asks me how the day is and i and i don't want to talk about the facts of my day i don't want to describe my process as an artist because it's it's kind of intuitive and it's it's definitely intentional but um but also intuitive and hard to describe i don't know i, I you know um and i f i find that kind of fun but i also find it like oh man it's really risky not to really know what i'm doing you've been listening to entertainment x the podcast you can follow entertainment x on instagram at underscore entertainment x underscore if you haven't yet go to apple podcasts and subscribe rate and review this podcast join clay next week for another curiosity conversation on entertainment x thank you for listening